Welcome to On The Move, I'm UA's podcast series. On The Move features interviews with folks in the Inland Marine Insurance community sharing their insights and experience. We touch on a range of topics including career development, technical issues, and the all-important Work-Life Balancing Act. Hi, welcome to today's episode of On The Move. I'm Lillian Colson, and I'm delighted to have Joe Grasso, a partner at Wigan and Dana LLP, joining me today. Joe graduated from Yale with his Bachelor of Arts degree, and then he went on to receive his Juris Doctorate degree from the University of Virginia School of Law, after which he began his career as an attorney at Thatcher, Prophet & Wood in New York, where he subsequently became IMUA's legal counsel. During the past 20 years, Joe has been an incredible resource for IMUA, from presenting seminars to finding speakers for a number of IMUA's many inland marine-focused professional development programs to volunteering on several of IMUA's committees. And he did this all while serving as IMUA's legal counsel. Joe, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure to be here, Lillian. Thank you. You've been general counsel to IMUA and our sister association and the American Institute of Marine Underwriters for many years. How did that come about? It actually all started in 1999 when I was at my former firm, Thatcher, Prophet & Wood, who had been counsel to both AIMU and IMUA, actually from the inception of both organizations. And in fact, the, the name partner at Thatcher, Prophet & Wood, Archibald Thatcher, was involved in the founding of AIMU um, way back when. So I took over the relationship in 1999 when the partner who had been doing the work decided to go to the New York Insurance Department Liquidation Bureau. Her name is Marilyn Lytle. And Marilyn knew that I was doing insurance work and marine insurance work, so she thought I was a natural successor. So that started in 1999 for AIMU. And the next year, another former partner of mine, Steve Whelan, who had been IMUA's outside general counsel for years, looked at me and he said, you're probably the right person to do the IMUA work as well. So in 2000, I took over the relationship with IMUA and have been doing it for 20 years. Well, we're so glad that that relationship occurred. On a somewhat related note, one of the questions that we usually ask our podcast guests is how they got involved in the insurance industry. And we found that most people wind up in insurance professions quite by accident, but you're an attorney who still wound up with a career in insurance. How did your career in insurance begin? Yeah, I sort of stumbled into it as well. I started at Thatcher, Prophet & Wood right out of law school in 1986, and when I got to the firm, they asked me what sort of law I wanted to practice, and I said, how about either real estate or corporate law? And they looked at me and they said, why don't you try maritime and insurance law instead? So I got put in that department, and turned out I really liked it. Didn't know I had an interest in it, but I found the maritime work fascinating, and then the insurance work followed thereafter, and still love it. That's great. Do you also represent insurance carriers, and what kind of cases do you normally see? I do. I would say the bulk of my work is working for underwriters, insurance companies, and I've done lots of different things for them, probably mostly coverage disputes, but I also monitor claims for excess underwriters, do some regulatory work, obviously, and have drafted a lot of policy forms. Probably not the most interesting part of the job, but a crucial part of the job. In terms of the types of cases I've handled, they've been, you know, I said I sort of stumbled into the marine insurance side of it, but the cases have been fascinating, and every case has different facts. One of the most interesting inland marine cases I handled was a couple of years ago when I was retained by underwriters in London to defend a London antiquities dealer 
who had been exhibiting a Persian relief at the New York Fine Arts Show when in walked the New York District Attorney with two policemen and seized the piece, alleging that it had been wrongfully removed from Iran in 1930. It turned out the underwriters, I'm not sure they knew this when they underwrote the policy, but they had ensured title to the piece as well. So we had to appear in New York criminal court and defend the London antiquities dealers and were able to happily able to resolve that without any repercussions. That's fascinating, and it must have been a little disconcerting, for sure. Definitely a little daunting, and I have to say, I'd spend, I've spent my entire career in civil courts and never in criminal court, but there I was in criminal court, and you know what? It wasn't so bad. It was pretty interesting. Could you tell us what your biggest takeaway is or recurring theme that you've seen on some of the claims cases you litigated that would be of interest to claims professionals and underwriters? Yeah, it's certainly one theme that I see in almost every claim that comes to me, and by the time a claim comes to me, that means it's already fairly adversarial, but one recurring theme is lack of communication. I would say that the majority of claims that I've seen have become adversarial because of some sort of breakdown in communication. Sometimes that's just, you know, an innocent delay in one side getting back to the other or a failure to communicate a particular position, but really that's been sort of the root cause of a lot of the adversarial positions. I used to say that there was also a problem as to communications between claims and underwriting, but I think the industry has really addressed that a lot in the last 20 to 30 years, and now almost all of the clients that I work with have great lines of communication open between claims and underwriting. That's very important, and at IMUA, we've also tried to always get a claims perspective so that we can share that with our underwriters. In addition to your career at Wigan and Dana, you've been an active member of various associations, and you've sat on a number of boards and committees, all while raising a family. What advice would you give to millennials and the newly emerging Gen Z insurance professionals entering the workforce who are trying to find that sweet spot in their work-life balance? Yeah, that's a great question, Lily, and particularly since I have a couple of kids who have just entered the workforce, um, and I'm sure they're going to be asking me this question at some point, too. Fortunately, I think we're in an environment today where corporate America has taken work-life balance into consideration in their employment and retention policies. So I think it's not as difficult nowadays to keep the balance as it used to be, but one still has to do it. I think that one of the most important ways to maintain the balance is to be organized. That sounds very simplistic, but a lot of people, I think, lose sight of tasks that they have to do at work and then sort of get into a situation where, you know, they lose the balance and they're always thinking about work when they should be focusing on the personal part of it. I think if you stay organized, you can keep the two separate and you should be able to find time for both. Organization is huge and also keeping lines of communication open with your employer so they're aware of your needs. Have you noticed any recent inland marine industry trends in terms of cases you or maybe your fellow attorneys in the practice have been involved in during the past year to 18 months? Yeah, I'm not sure I've seen a trend in terms of the the cases that are being litigated in the insurance industry, but certainly two topics that are at the top of everyone's mind now and which you know, we are likely to see in the courts in the coming years are cybersecurity and climate change. I know the industry is is addressing cybersecurity, and your sister organization, AIMU, has been hard at work on cyber clauses for insurance policies. And I think we're yet to see disputes over coverage for cyber events. There haven't been that many that have resulted in major insured losses, but I think it's coming down the road. 
and I would say the same thing is likely for climate change. I know there's some litigation winding its way through the courts as we speak on climate change. We'll have to see what that brings. And there are definitely two hot topics in the industry. Yep, and one that uh, IMUA generally addresses at its annual meeting as well. I understand you were recently invited to speak before a prestigious global organization over in Europe. Can you tell us what that was all about? Yes, I was uh, I was invited to give a briefing at NATO in November of last year. The way I got into it is I've done some work for the U.S. Department of Transportation Maritime Administration, so my name was known to them in terms of insurance knowledge. So I was asked to give a briefing to the NATO Logistics Committee on War Risks Insurance. And the genesis of that is that the Logistics Committee, as its name implies, deals with moving support for NATO troops around the world in times of conflict and with everything that's going on geopolitically in the world. They are looking at insurance aspects of those logistics that they have to provide to the troops. So it was a great experience. I went to NATO headquarters outside of Brussels in November had to have a military escort to get into the place, and then I was taken into a conference room where the logistics committee met. So all 29 member countries in NATO had two representatives in the briefing, one military and one civilian cabinet-level member. And I stood up and I gave my presentation on the importance of war risk insurance and a suggestion that NATO dust off its own program that it used to have, and I I think that went, went relatively well. It sounds like it was a truly fascinating experience. Yeah, it was great, and I got to have some Belgian beer as well while I was there. Uh, switching gears a little bit, if you hadn't pursued the legal profession, what do you think you'd be doing today? I've always had a great interest in art, and in fact studied history of art, pre-Columbian art and architecture in college. And when I graduated from college, I thought maybe I'd try to find a career in art, maybe working in a museum or something like that. My father had different ideas for me, and I ended up going to law school. But I'd like to think that if I weren't doing law, I might be doing something in the art industry as a curator or something like that. Well, you know, you still might find your way to at least IMUA if you chose an art, because as you know, we have Arts and Records Committee, and you could have still wound up in insurance. Right, right. How have you gotten involved in volunteer work for the industry or otherwise? It's pretty easy to get involved in volunteer work for the industry, and I would encourage everyone to do it. And I think IMUA does a great job of encouraging volunteer work from its members, member companies, and their employees. But it's if you look around, you can find opportunities to volunteer in the insurance industry, for example, volunteer to join a committee at IMUA or a committee at AIMU. And it's been encouraging to see the increasing interest of individual employees to do that. It's a big-time commitment. Everyone understands that. It's non-paying work, but it's for the benefit of the industry. So it's easy to find opportunities. I tend to have a difficult time not raising my hand when I see that someone's asking for a volunteer to do something. And it's been a pleasure to work with IMUA and AIMU and a host of other industry organizations, and doing things like the, the briefing for NATO. I just think it's a good way to give back. I've also had, turning to non-insurance, I've been a member of the Board of Trustees at Tuskegee University for the last 25 years. It's been a really rewarding experience through that and have met a lot of very interesting people along the way. Giving back is so important. We congratulate you also for diversifying your ability to do so and give back to the insurance profession as well as on the college level to a historically black university. And we also very much so appreciate the volunteer plug for IMUA and AIMU. On a final note, what have been some of your favorite memories from past IMUA annual meetings? My favorite memories go to the personal relationships that I've developed over the years with so many 
fantastic people like you, Lillian. It's been wonderful getting to know you. And I'd like to congratulate you on 20 years at oh, uh, no. IMUA. <laughs> Thank you. I know, I actually can't believe that, but you know, we started our affiliation with the organization around the same time, and it's just been a, it's been wonderful getting to know you, getting to know the officers and the board members over the years, and that feeds through at the annual meeting. A lot of hard work goes into the annual meeting. There's fantastic education and networking and content at the annual meeting, but there's also a socializing aspect too, which, you know, gives you a break from the work, makes it really fun. I always participate in the golf tournament and have made a lot of good friendships over the years. And of course, I have to mention that at the annual meeting, one of the highlights of past years has been Bill Rose's monologue when giving out the, the golf awards. Maybe we'll have to pull him out of retirement for that in the future. Can you believe he's even more in demand now that he's not doing that routine anymore? I think he actually has a cult following at the annual meeting now. Yeah, hopefully he won't hear this. <laughs> Well, Joe, it's been a real treat. Thanks again for joining me. My pleasure, Lillian. Thanks for tuning in to On The Move, a podcast series presented by the Inland Marine Underwriters Association. To access additional podcasts, professional development opportunities, and our technical library, visit us at www.imua.org.